We want to extend a welcome to all of you. We're glad you've joined us for worship this morning. And we want to send a special welcome if you're here for the first time. If, if you're visiting today, um, we're just glad you've joined us for worship and to study God's Word together. Uh, if, if you would do us a favor, um, in your pew or in the seat back in front of you, there should be a connection card. Uh, it just gives you a place to write your name and information on. And we would like to stay in touch with you and, and be able to, uh, we'd like to uh, send you something. And so if you're willing to, stop by the welcome desk right out back there and drop this off after the service. They have, we have a free gift we want to give you. We just want to welcome you. We're really glad you've joined us. And if you're a, a regular part of our church family and you've had a, a change in any of your information or uh, you have a prayer request that you want us to be in prayer about, um, please just write that on the back and you can either drop that off at the welcome desk or put it in one of the offering boxes in the back and we'll, we'll be praying for you and uh, just bring you before the Lord. If you have your bulletin, I just want to highlight a couple things. I, I want to encourage you to read it because there's always some things in there that we don't mention up front here. But uh, I just want to remind you that next week, March 9th, next Sunday, March 9th, is, is Daylight Savings. And so um, I expect the second service will be very well attended. Um, but, uh, but for those of you who are, are, uh, are, are want to be mindful about changing your clock back or moving it forward, this is the one where we lose an hour of sleep and... We're all a little bit grumpier, so we'll, we'll try to have plenty of coffee and, uh, and just uh, a lot of smiling faces to welcome you for losing that hour of sleep. Um, today we get to begin the study of the book of Acts, and uh, we're going to study Acts 1 through 12. We're going to look at the early church and what God did in miraculous ways through the church. Uh, if you're part of a small group and your small group wants to uh, discuss and dive a little deeper into what we're talking about on Sunday mornings, at the Welcome Center, there are some questions. So uh, your small group leader can grab those and bring them to group this week, and, and that will just help you um, maybe dive a, a little bit deeper and give a chance to interact a little bit about what we're studying Sunday mornings. And so that's what we're going to do tonight in my group uh, at 530 across from Route 28. If, if you want to join us, we'll be, we'll be studying Acts a little bit more in depth and uh, just having some real practical application and discussion time based on what we're studying here in the, in the morning message. If you have your Bibles, uh, we're going to, today since it's an introduction and it's, a, it's the beginning of the study, we're going to be looking at a few different passages. And so uh, where we're going to start out is kind of the, uh, Luke 1 and then we're going to jump over to Acts 1. Um, just a, a little bit about myself. I was, I was homeschooled up through eighth grade. And for those of you maybe who had that experience, um, you know that, that one of the downsides to homeschooling can be uh, that you're, you're sheltered a little bit. And I, I really appreciated my homeschool experience. But by the time I was old enough to go to high school, my mom looked at me and said, you spend way too much time in your bedroom reading Hardy Boy books and drink, uh, eating Doritos and drinking Mountain Dew. You need to get out and interact with these things called people and, and learn to talk and communicate and interact. And so my parents, much to my terror, sent me to public high school when I was uh, entering ninth grade. And so, I mean, I, and I, when I say terror, I was terrified. I did not know what to expect, but I thought there would be all manner of debauchery and drunkenness and, and wickedness. I, I, I just had these images in my mind of what public schools kids did. Ah, and, and so I, I went there uh, utterly scared. And of course, I had uh, so many of my, my, um, my assumptions were not true, but I was still scared. I mean, just the idea of going from class to class, making sure I got to place on time and, and getting homework turned in and learning how to take notes. All those things were new for me as a 13 or 14 year old starting high school. And, and I, I was an okay student. I did fine. But one of, the, one of my weak areas was science. I was not very great at science. It didn't interest me a great deal. And, and so as I started off ninth grade biology, I heard right from the outset that we at the end of the year were going to have to dissect pigs. Now, I grew up out in the country, uh, blasting away at all kinds of things with my BB gun and, and stuff, but I, I never really got excited about opening those creatures up and discovering what was inside. So I was actually pretty nervous about the end of the year pig dissection. And of course, they work your way up to it. We started with a worm or something like that and, and build up to it. But it came to that, that section, and I had discovered at that point, near the end of my first year in high school, that it was important to surround yourself with smart people. Did you ever, did any of you get through high school like that? 
you find people that are really good students, that know what they're doing, that are confident, and you just kind of get close to them. And so I made sure I chose some smart people for my lab partners there because I didn't have the confidence. And so as we went through this process, and I, and I realize some of you may have had big breakfast, so I'm not going to go into those kind of details. But as we went through this process, I gained a lot of confidence and a lot of guidance by watching people who, who knew what they were doing. They had paid attention all year. They would paid attention to the, the preparatory lectures and all that stuff. And so they were ready for this assignment. And they listened carefully to the teacher's instructions and, and they were able to follow them. So I, I watched carefully as we did this. I'd kind of look at their pig and look at my pig. Okay, what are you doing here? You found that there? Okay, this is right here. And so I made sure that I looked for people who knew what they were doing, who were confident in what they were doing and, and where they were going in that assignment. And you know, as, as believers, as, as Christians, and, 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 and as we think about uh, being a body of the body of Christ and a local congregation here, one of the things that we need to do is look at those who have gone before us. Look at those who have done church, who have, have walked with God, who have served him faithfully, and look at their example. And the book of Acts is a tremendous example for how to do church and how we should be worshiping God as a body. Now, granted, as we'll see, that they got some things wrong, and so we can learn from their mistakes too, as, as I believe that the, the Scripture wants us to do. But as we study the book of Acts together, our, our goal and our focus is going to be to look at the early church and see what they were doing, what they were up to, and see how we as believers and, and as, a, as a church here in Clare, how we model that. The, the title of um, this message, this series, is called Ecclesia. Uh, the word ecclesia is the Greek word for church. So if you want to impress anybody this week, there's your, your $5 word. That's the Greek word for church. It just means an assembly or, or a gathering. And that began, the, began to be the term that was used all throughout the New Testament to refer to the body of believers that would get together. It's, referred, it's used to refer to the, the whole church. You know, the Bible, Bible uses church in, in two main different ways. There's, there's the church, the bride of Christ, the, the whole group of Christians that have existed throughout all centuries. So when, when the Bible talks about the church, sometimes it's talking about all Christians in general as, as the body of Christ. And then sometimes, especially throughout the book of Acts, churches used to refer to a, a local group of believers, the church that is in Thessalonica or the, the church in Ephesus. So it's a local congregation, and, and we are the, the church of Brown Corners. And as we study the book of Acts, we're going we're gonna to deal with some of the questions that surround church life. What is the mission and the purpose of the church? Um, is it important to meet regularly? Why did the believers get together regularly? When they did get together, what did they do? What was important to them? What did they value? How did they interact with the outside world? Did they just kind of cut themselves off? Or, or did, they, did they engage with, with non-Christians? When they did engage, how did they share the gospel? How did they go about sharing their faith? Did they just leave it up to the, the apostles? Or was that the job of every person? Uh, as we decide, as, for example, as a church, how to utilize our resources. Are there things from the book of Acts that we can glean that are going to guide us in how best to use our time and our finances and, and our personnel and, and our gifts? What we want to do is, as we study the book of Acts together over these next uh, 12 weeks or so, is say, how do we line up with the early church. That is, is even though we're separated by 2,000 years and about 6,000 miles. In fact, I, I Googled it this morning. Claire, Michigan from Jerusalem is about 5,900 and some miles. Uh, even though we're separated by time and distance, uh, what we want to do is look at Scripture and look at us and say, how do we line up? Are there some things we need to work on? What are we doing well? What are, what are things we could do better? And, and really, that's what we all need to do as believers every day. I mean, when we study God's word, we're looking at it and saying, okay, God, how does my life line up with this? We don't want to just read it for fun or for entertainment or, or for, for just because the pastor told us to or whatever. But we want to read it because we want to say, okay, this is what God's word says. This is where my life is. Uh, is it matching? 
And we want to do the same thing as, as a body of believers, as a church. And so as we, um, as we turn to uh, Luke chapter 1, um, and the reason I want to start there is, is, as most of you know, Luke wrote both books. He wrote the Gospel of Luke, and he wrote the book of Acts. I just want to read his introduction to Luke, and then we'll, we'll jump to the introduction to Acts. If you have your Bibles, Luke chapter 1, verse 1, and and this is what he writes. Inasmuch as many have undertaken to compile a narrative of the things that have been accomplished among us, just as those who were from the beginning eyewitnesses and ministers of the word have delivered them to us, it seemed good to me also, having followed all the things closely for some time past, to write an orderly account for you, most excellent Theophilus, that you may have certainty concerning, concerning the things you've been taught. When we get to the book of Acts, Luke addresses the book of Acts to the same individual, Theophilus. We don't know a whole lot about Luke or Theophilus, but Luke and Acts were kind of, it's kind of a two-volume set. Part one was about the ministry of Christ, and part two was about everything that happened after that for the next uh, 30, 35 years or so. And, and what he's doing here is, is, um, is drawing attention to the works of Christ and then how Christ's message and continued work happened in the book of Acts. And so uh, regarding Luke, again, we don't know a whole lot about him. He was probably a Gentile. His name is, is a, it's a Greek name. Uh, Paul's reference to him in, uh, Luke, or in Colossians chapter 4 seems to link him with Gentiles. Uh, his, his, his Greek usage, most scholars would say, was very refined. It's very well-written Greek. It's not as choppy as, say, Peter, for example, who was a fisherman and didn't have as much education. Colossians 4 also tells us that Luke was a doctor. Uh, his profession was a doctor. So he, he, was, he was set up to be a good historian because of his, his attention to detail. Uh, no other information about his background exists. Um, but some early writings uh, dated from the 2nd century state that he was a native of Antioch, that he was never married, and that he died at the age of 84. That's not in Scripture, so we don't know that to be true for certain. Um, he, uh, as, as, as modern scholars look at Luke and Acts, they look at his writings, they, they admit that he was a, a pretty careful scholar. His attention to detail is, is, is very, very good. Uh, the, the, the records that we're able to confirm through outside sources regarding names and, and titles of Roman officials line up exactly with what we've been able to find. He was a good scholar, and, and what we have written down is very accurate. The recipient, Theophilus, his name means a friend of God. He uh, was likely probably someone of influence. In fact, Paul refers to him in, in both books as most excellent Theophilus. The only other time that that title is used in the book of Luke is to refer to Roman officials. And so that's led some scholars to say that maybe he's writing kind of a defense of Christianity to a Roman official who's on the fence or, or maybe is just trying to understand what the Christian faith is all about. And so Luke may be writing these two letters to say, hey, this is what's, this is what's going on. This is what eyewitnesses have seen. And I want you to, I want you to see from a just eyewitness account of how God has changed the Roman Empire in just, and, and most, most scholars believe that, it was, that the book was written in the early to mid-60s. And so in about 30 years after Christ's death, we're going to see the amazing transformations that had taken place in just a short amount of time without the benefit of, of so many of the modes of communication that we have now. I just want to cover a couple of themes that are, are going to be major in the book of Acts. And you have them on your outline. If you've got a bulletin, there's, a, there's just a few really key and important themes that I want to go through. Um, these, uh, these are going to be different than the, the sermon. These are going to be the sermon um, titles that we have up on the screen. But what you have on your outline are some of the, the major, major issues or points throughout the book of Acts. So the, the first one is that the book of Acts is about Jesus. That may go without saying, but if, if you go to um, Acts 1.1, Luke just uh, mentions that. R really, all of Scripture is the story of Jesus. All of Scripture is building up to the person and work of Jesus Christ. 
from the very beginnings of Genesis, um, in Genesis 3, when Adam and Eve sinned, God promised right from the beginning that this serpent, one day he was going to be crushed. He was going to be destroyed. He was going to be leveled by a coming deliverer. And so from the very first chapters of Genesis, the deliverer was promised. And everything that God did in the Old Testament with the giving of the law, all the way throughout his, his ministry with Israel, calling them back from idolatry repeatedly, time and time again, all of it was building up, all of it was pointing forward to the person of Christ. And so when we say that the book of Acts is about Jesus, it, it should really come as no surprise. And so Acts 1.1 says, In the first book, O Theophilus, referring to Luke, I have dealt with all that Jesus began to do and teach. That wording there indicates that what Jesus began to do and teach in Luke was only the beginning of what he was going to do. And so even though Jesus goes to heaven in the very first chapter of the book of Acts, and he's not physically on earth during the story of Acts, the book of Acts is still all about what he was doing even though he was absent. All that he was going to accomplish in the, in the spreading of the gospel, in the, in the preaching of his word, in the, in the spreading of his church, all of that was his ministry and his work. And so that's what this book is about. It's about Jesus. The great preacher, uh, preacher Martin Lloyd-Jones said, This is the message that God, the eternal Father, the creator, the owner of all things, has handed over the business of this world and its redemption to his son. And that's the story of Acts, really. Secondly, the book of Acts is about the sovereignty of God. It's about God at work on earth doing miraculous things and orchestrating his church to bring about his purposes. In fact, the Christians in Acts chapter 4, um, they, they prayed this prayer. And I think it's just an amazing, amazing testimony to their confidence in God. It was just after, and we're going to study this one in a few weeks, but it was just after uh, Peter and John were released from prison. And it says in Acts 4.24, it says, uh, they lifted their voices together to God and said, Sovereign Lord, who made the heaven and the earth and the sea and everything in them. And verse 27 says, For truly in this city there were gathered together against your holy servant Jesus, whom you anointed, both Herod and Pontius Pilate, along with the Gentiles and the people of Israel, to do whatever your hand and your plan had predestined to take place. As they were praying there to God, they expressed their confidence that they recognized everything that happened to Jesus on the cross was exactly what God intended. You see, as we read the story of Christ going to the cross, it seems like a, a nightmare unraveling before our eyes. It seems like it seems like from the time that Judas betrayed him with a kiss to the guards showing up in the garden to the mock trial and all of a sudden, uh, you know, I mean, really, it was, it was kind of a toss-up, at least from human eyes, whether Jesus would get released or not. Pilate and Herod were going back and forth and, and, and they looked like they were kind of indecisive about the whole thing. And, and then it, all of a sudden, he's on the cross. And, and, if, and if you were a a Christian or, or maybe a, a new believer or someone who, who wasn't confident in God's sovereignty, you might say, holy cow, what just happened? In fact, the disciples did that. Some of them ran, some of them fled. And then uh, we find that when on, on Easter morning, just wallowing in despair because they didn't know what they were going to do. But the disciples here, by the time we get to Acts 4, they realized that that was all God's sovereign plan. It wasn't a, a nightmare that was unraveling before their eyes. It wasn't a, a series of bad decisions and, and corrupt government officials stepping in. But it was God's plan to do what God wanted to do, accomplishing his will. And the book of Acts is really about God getting, what, getting done what God wants done. So we see the book of Acts is about the sovereignty of God. Number three, the book of Acts is about the work of the Holy Spirit. The book of Acts is about the work of the Holy Spirit. Some of you will remember that before Jesus died, he promised that the Holy Spirit was going to come. He said in Acts chapter uh, 14, he says, And I will ask the Father, and he will give you another helper to be with you forever. That this, this helper, this, this one to come that was going to be with the Christians was the Holy Spirit of God. And the great message, one of the great messages of Acts is that God has come to dwell within us. 
And we don't have time to, to unpack the doctrine of the Holy Spirit this morning. We'll do that on a, on, a, on, a, on a limited basis in a couple of weeks here. But the book of Acts tells us that that gift of the Holy Spirit means that we are indwelled by him. Like this morning, if you're a Christian, God is inside you. And, and, and if, and if maybe, maybe that weirds you out a little bit, I don't know. But if you really stop and think about it, that's an amazing, amazing truth. I mean, talk about a great gift. And Jesus promised, he says, listen, I'm not going to leave you alone. Next week, our, our sermon title is going to be An Empowered Church. And we're going to talk about that. How, how as, as soon as he left, within days of Jesus going to heaven, within days, he gave his Holy Spirit and said, listen, I'm not leaving you alone. I'm not abandoning you. The book of Acts is, is about the Holy Spirit. Uh, number four, the book of Acts is about the ministry of the apostles. Um, the book of Acts, many of your, your sermon titles will say uh, the Acts of the Apostles. That's the official title that we've, we've, we've put into our English Bibles. Um, listen, the book of Acts has a, a lot of amazing stories. We're going to focus on a few of them. We read about, about great men of the faith like Peter, like John, like Stephen, and Philip, and, and, and then in and, and chapter uh, 9, well, actually, he, he shows up at the beginning of chapter 8, and then in chapter 9, we, we're going to learn about this man, Saul, who is wonderfully converted and becomes known as Paul and, and starts doing amazing things. We're going to read about some of his companions, and, and you go further into the book of Acts, and you, got, you meet guys like Silas and Barnabas. All these men of the faith, some we know a lot about, some we know very little about, that are, are changing their world. The book of Acts is filled with some amazing stories about the early church and, and, and some amazing stories of individuals. So we're going to learn about some of those. Number five in your notes, uh, the book of Acts is about the message of the gospel going to all people. The, the book of Acts is about the message of the gospel going to all people. Acts 1.8, we're going to study this verse next week. But you, Jesus said, But you will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you. And you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, and to the ends of of the earth. If you've read your Bible, you know that God delights in saving people. God delights in showing his grace. But God doesn't just delight in showing his grace to uh, the Jews. God doesn't just delight in showing his grace to the people in the Middle East or to people in North America or people who who's seem to have it all together. God delights in, in regenerating and saving people from every tribe, tongue, and nation. And Revelation chapter 5 tells us that when we get to heaven and we're worshiping, he says they're going to be people from every tribe, tongue, and nation bowing before the throne with us. So we're going to be on our knees before our, the creator of the world next to Laotian believers and South African believers and uh, even U of M fans. And I mean, <laughs> God is going to save all kinds of people and his delight is that his word goes out. And we're going to see that, that some of the early Christians, they, they weren't as proactive about that as they wanted to be. So God was going to use persecution to say, come on, come on, come on, go out a little further, go out a little further. And we're going to discover that by the end of the third century, Christianity actually became the official religion for the Roman Empire. And you can debate whether that was a good thing or a bad thing. There were some negatives that definitely came out of that. But it had changed and, and, and moved in people's lives to such a great degree that, um, as, as we'll see in a minute, it, 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 it turned the known world upside down. And so therefore, uh, number six, and this will be the focus of our series, is that the book of Acts is about the life of the early church. This will be the focus of our study. The book of Acts is about the life of the early church. Acts is an exciting story. It's filled with astounding conversions and unbelievable miracles. And it chronicles the miraculous outworkings of God's ability to turn a bunch of, of ragtag, uh, scaredy cat, uh, many uneducated uh, Christians around into people who were spirit-empowered in a fiery bunch of evangelists. And even as, as Christianity began to take off, 
the world quickly began to notice. And there was an emperor, Emperor Julian, um, who was certainly no friend of Christianity. But even at his stage, after a, a century or two, he noticed this about Christians and their influence. He says, it has been a, Christianity has been specially advanced through the loving service rendered to strangers and, and through their care of the burial of the dead. He says, it's a scandal that there is not one single Jew who is a beggar and that the godless Galileans care not only for their own poor, but for ours as well. While those who belong to us look in vain for the help that we should render them. Even though he hated Christianity, he had already begun to see how it transformed lives, how they were, they were serving and meeting needs of the needy, and they were loving and caring for their own, and, and they were spreading the gospel like wildfire. And so as we think about um, the story of Acts, I just want to do a summary, and that's what's, that's what's on the screen here. I just want to kind of do a summary of what we're going to hit each week, just to throw it out there and let you know where we're, where we're heading with this. Uh, what, what are some of the topics we're going to talk about? And uh, then just kind of wrap it up with a quick application. The first, the first message that uh, we'll preach next week on, on uh, the beginning of Acts, Acts chapter 1, is the empowered church. Listen, these people, and, and you, we, we read it at the, at the garden. They all took off. They all left Jesus. Peter, who, who swore that he would stand by Christ, said, I don't know this guy. Who's, who's Jesus? Denied him three times. But something happened between the resurrection and Acts that changed everything. And I believe that the resurrection was a huge part of it. But I believe also it had to do with God's empowering of these believers. And that's what Acts 1.8 is, we're going to read next week, is going to tell us. That he's going to give them supernatural power to do things that they would not otherwise do. These guys were terrified of what might happen. And the kind of opposition that they were willing to stand up against is unbelievable. We're not talking about, about people that kind of snicker around the water cooler. We're talking about people who said, I will kill you if you turn to Christ. It takes boldness for us to speak up at work. I, I realize that. It takes boldness for you as a teenager to speak up in school about your faith. Maybe bowing your head at lunch is, is going to get a couple people nudging each other at the table and pointing at you. And I, I, don't, I certainly don't want to minimize that because that, that has terrified me before. But these were people who, who, were, who were in the face of, if, if you turn to Christ, you will die. Like, you will not just get made fun of. You're going to die. You're going to be rejected. You're going to have a hard time finding a job. Your family will, will disown you. That, that's the persecution that they were facing in the early church. And yet God empowered them to boldly move forward, to boldly proclaim his message. It's no accident. These weren't just special people. They weren't uh, unusually gifted people. They were everyday folks like you and I who understood that God was going to enable them to do something great, that the following week, we're going to talk about the Spirit-filled church. We're going to talk about the Holy Spirit and His ministry. And that's going to kind of piggyback on uh, God's empowering of the church. We're going to talk about the Holy Spirit and some of the amazing things that He did in Acts. Uh, number uh, three, we're going to talk about, uh, I'm, I'm sorry, in the, in the fourth, ser uh, series, fourth sermon of the series, we're going to talk about the gathered church. We're going to talk about how the believers continually met together. It was important to them. We're going to talk about why it was important. Did they just get together because they knew Jesus was watching and they were supposed to do it? Did they just get together because uh, somebody could really, you know, bake a, a mean pound cake and, man, we can't, can't miss the potluck coming up or whatever? No, no, no. They gathered together because they knew it was essential to the survival of their, of their spiritual lives. They knew it was, it was imperative to their growth. And so we'll talk a little bit about that. Uh, the following week, we're going to talk about Acts, uh, the, the church in Acts being a gospel-preaching church. That's from Acts chapter 3. That they, weren't, they weren't bearing a message of self-help, uh, humanistic, uh, you know, you, you're going you're gonna to make it, everything's going to be just fine. Uh, it wasn't uh, a, just a, a series of cute stories. The, their message had real genuine substance, and they were preaching the gospel of Jesus Christ because they knew that anything else they did wouldn't bring about genuine and real change. They knew what, what changed them was that they had placed their faith 
in this Galilean named Jesus, that he had died for them, that he, he rose again for them, he conquered death, and he, he, he gained power over, over the grave, and that this man transformed their life, and that was the gospel they preached, the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus. That was their message. When you read the sermon and sermons and acts, there's not a lot of variety. There's not a lot of cute illustrations and, and stuff. They just go right to it. They just start off in the Old Testament and they said everything in the Old Testament pointed to Jesus and you need to believe in Jesus or you're going to be judged and go to hell and then they usually end up getting killed. That was kind of, that's the, that's the progress of the sermons in the book of Acts. You just kind of, it's kind of the, the, the model, how they preached. And and they realized that the, the only message that changed people's lives was the gospel of Jesus Christ. They were a gospel-preaching church. Next, we're going to talk about how they were a persecuted church. We've already mentioned that, but Acts 4 tells a neat story of Peter and John boldly proclaiming the truth, getting hauled in before government officials and saying, what do you want us to do? What, do you want, what else do you want us to talk about? Because God has absolutely changed my life. I'm not going to sit and, and talk about the weather or, or how the, the ball game went last night. I'm, I'm going to sit here and tell you about Jesus. By the way, have you heard about him? And so then they started preaching to their captors. They had no problem. They had no problem boldly proclaiming Jesus Christ. And so they, they, they were persecuted for it. And so we'll talk about that. We're gonna, the following week, we're going to talk about the generous church. We're going to talk about how the Christians in the early church were exceptionally generous. They loved to give. Uh, yesterday, if you had a chance to be here, there a few of you were here for the, the, new, belie- or the, the new members class. And, and Jeff did a fantastic job of kind of giving an overview of, of our history and um, where, where not only we are as a church, but as a denomination. And then um, he shared a, a video that talked about stewardship. And as Christians, if, if we wrap our mind around the simple idea that everything we have is, is really God's. We're simply stewards or managers of it, and we have the opportunity to use it either uh, for his glory or for our glory. If we realize that, that it's way better to use it for his glory, uh, it will totally transform how we look at money. And all of a sudden, we could move from being people who are, who are worshipers of money, where, where our treasure is laid up in our stuff, to where we go to lay up treasures in heaven and we recognize that God blesses us so that we can bless other people. And, and the early church recognized that. In fact, we're going to read in Acts chapter 4 that they were, they were selling all of their property and just giving, giving it away. They're like, what's the bare minimum I need to eat and breathe? Because I want to bless and help other people. And so we're going to talk about how the early church was a generous church. We're going to talk about how the early church was a holy church. A holy church. In Acts 5, you may remember the story of Ananias and Sapphira. And you're going to talk a little bit about how they took holiness seriously. Uh, we're going to talk about uh, um, the, how the early church was an evangelistic church. We're going to study the story of Philip and how he preached the gospel. Wherever God put him, he just was there to share the gospel. He wasn't he, wasn't, he was even willing to be pulled away from a successful ministry in Samaria to go help share the gospel with one person. We're going to talk about evangelism and, and how that was an important part of the early church. Uh, we're going to talk about a, a converted church. Um, and we're going to study the conversion of the Apostle Paul. And how when God, the Bible teaches that when, when we get saved, one of the things that happens is that we're regenerated. And that means we're born again. We have a, a new birth. And 1 Corinthians tells us that the old things are passed away and behold, all things are made new. And the Bible is very clear that when you come to Christ, it's all new again. And, and things should change in our lives. Things should look different. In the early church, you'll notice that there wasn't a lot of time for, for, for people who, who professed to be saved and just wanted to continue to live how they'd always lived. They recognized that, that God was doing a miracle inside their hearts. So we're going we're gonna to study that in Acts 9. We're going to study how the early church was a missions-minded church. That, it, that sharing the gospel was important. And not just with the people around us, but going to places where maybe we're a little uncomfortable speaking with them. I remember when we were in Bible college, one of the assignments we had to do, we had to go to U of M because there's a, a lot of unbelievers there. And... Um, and, and share the gospel. We had, to go to, we had to go to MSU too, but U of M was a little closer. So we would go to U of M and share the gospel. And I just remember being terrified because 
I mean, I grew up in a, in a pretty small town, an exceptionally white town. Very, uh, everybody looked and spoke the same. And all of a sudden, I went to University of Michigan, and I, had, I thought I might need a passport to get into U of M. I mean, I saw, all of a sudden, I saw people from all kinds of cultures, speaking all kinds of different languages. And my friend and I met uh, these couple of Muslim guys who wanted to sit down and talk. And so they bought us every, every Tuesday when we went over there, they bought us chai tea and we sat down and we, we shared, the, shared the gospel with them. And that was scary to me. And I had all kinds of pre, preconceptions about them and, and I had all kinds of judgments going on in my head. These guys turned out to be extremely nice men. And in the end, they, they didn't trust Christ. They listened to us politely, but they said, we, we still disagree with you. We believe the Quran and we're going to follow the Quran. But... Um, it was exceptionally uncomfortable for me to do that. To talk to, to people that I, I didn't know, to talk to people that were completely from a different culture, from a different religion, and it was, it was difficult. But by God's grace, as we got to know them, I realized, you know what? Man, this is, this is what God wants us doing as Christians. And, and as we study Acts, we recognize that they battled the same thing. They had, they had prejudices. They had preconceptions about people, and they had things that they, they struggled with, the idea of, of taking the gospel to certain people. And God helped them get over that and realize and see that, that his, his mission was far bigger than their little narrow-minded, let's stay in our hometown mission. We'll talk about that. And then lastly, when we look at Acts chapter 12, we're going to talk about the church being a protected church. We're going to talk about how God is for his church. This is the, the church is the only institution in the world established by God. And God says, I'm going to build my church. He doesn't say, hey, good luck, guys. He says, no, 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 I'm going to build my church. And the gates of hell will not prevail against it. God has, has a desire and a goal to see his church grow. And he is there with us every step of the way to see us grow and to see us succeed in his mission. And so we're going to talk about that. I'm, I'm excited about studying the book of Acts together because there are some very awesome and, and real and important truths that we're going to learn and see. But we're going to see it in the, in the shape of a story as, as it's happening there in real time in the book of Acts. I want to close with one last verse in Acts chapter 17. And, and in this study, we're not going to get as far as chapter 17. But there's a story of Paul and Silas as they're in, in the city of Thessalonica there and they're, they're sharing the gospel and they're at, a, at another Christian's house. I believe his name's Jason. And uh, he's kind of helping be their host uh, for their stay in Thessalonica. And uh, things in the city were, were brewing outside Jason's house, though. And it says in verse 5 of, of Acts 17, it says, But the Jews were jealous, and they were taking some wicked men of the rabble. <laughs> I love that. So, uh, I think the King James says men of the baser sort. And they formed a mob and they set the city in an uproar and attacked the house of Jason, seeking to bring them out of the crowd. And when they could not find them, they dragged Jason and some of the brothers before the city authorities, shouting, These men who have turned the world upside down have come here also. Their reputation had preceded them to Thessalonica. And as Paul and Silas and, and Jason and the others were ministering and serving, the officials recognized that something had been happening in the world around them. It was being turned upside down by the gospel of Jesus Christ. And they said, oh no, it's coming here too. Those people who have turned the world upside down and they didn't understand that it's actually Jesus doing the work. These the apostles were just the message bearers, but these people have turned the world upside, upside down. They're, they're coming here as well. And so my prayer for our church, and as we study the book of Acts, and as we continue to move forward in the weeks and months and years ahead, my prayer for our church is that we are, are known as people who have turned our community upside down. That people have, have seen what God has done here in, in, in the lives of us as individuals, in the life of our, our body, and they see the transformation that takes place when we interact with, with non-Christians. And they say, that, that church, 
And not, not for the purpose of patting ourselves on the back, but for the purpose of glorifying God, they say, wow, that is a church that has, has turned our community upside down. That by their message and, 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 and their example, they've, they've been transformed themselves and now they're, they're transforming the lives of other people. I want to ask you to pray with me if you would. God, I thank you for the example of the apostles, for what you did in the book of Acts, and the amazing, amazing truths that, that we can learn, not only to, uh, to model and, and mirror ourselves, but just to, to, to look and just say, wow, God, the early church was a you thing because there's, there's absolutely no way that this little movement of a, a few dozen or, or maybe a couple hundred people would have survived with the, the amount of oppression that the empire was, was mounting against it. There's no way that would have survived had it not been for your supernatural involvement. And God, there is no way our church is going to impact this community. There's no way my life can change. There's no way my brothers' and sisters' lives can change if it's not for you. If it's not for you going before us and coming behind us, and, it's, and if it's not for your empowerment and your grace and your wisdom, so God, today we ask for that. And as we study this book, help us to see the things that we're doing well, the, the things that we, we can celebrate and say, man, God, thank you that you've enabled our church to grow and, and, and be strong in this area. And I just pray that you'd help us to be on the lookout for areas where we really need to grow, where we need to say, you know what, we can do better here. God, we are so grateful and we ask that you would be glorified this week as we apply these things. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. We have the opportunity this morning of, of celebrating communion together. Are you guys singing a song before we do? Okay, all right. And as you, as you examine the book of Acts, and, and for those of you who are helping out with communion, you can come forward now. As you study the book of Acts, one of the things that they were obedient in, they, they obeyed Jesus' command. Jesus said, that he wanted them to practice communion, to do this in, in remembrance of me. And so in Acts um, chapter 2, verse 42, we find themselves doing just that. Acts 2.42 says, They devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and fellowship and to breaking of bread and to prayers. They devoted themselves to it. And so as we get the opportunity to continue our worship this morning, we want to worship by celebrating communion together. And I, I just want to pray one more time. And uh, before I do that, I want to just give you a moment of silent reflection as you think about, uh, about this awesome opportunity to worship our Lord and Savior this way. This, this may be an opportunity for you to just get your mind tuned in to the, the cross of Christ and how he shed his blood for you. This may, this may be an opportunity for you to celebrate and, and thank him for the resurrection, that our, our, our Lord and Savior didn't just die, but he defeated death and he, he rose from the grave. This may be a chance for you to look inwardly and say, Lord, is there anything going on in my life that has separated me from you? Is there any sin in my life that I just need to, to, to bring before you and confess to you right now? So I just want, I just want to give us a moment of, of quiet reflection that I'll I'll pray. God, we do thank you for the cross. The blood of Jesus Christ, you tell us, is able to cleanse us from our sins. You tell us in Romans 3.23 that all of us here have sinned. There's not one of us that is, is not too bad or, or well, maybe not, not quite as bad as the next guy or got my life pretty well together. You say we all have sinned and come short of your glory. That means that we, we don't measure up through our works. We needed you to send someone who did measure up, someone who was, who was perfect and holy and who would have been an acceptable sacrifice. The, the shedding of my blood would not have paid for my sins. And 
It would have simply just been the, the, the punishment, the just punishment. But you tell us that, that our Savior, Jesus Christ, when he went to the cross, that his blood was fully acceptable and sufficient. His death covered our sins. And for as many here in this room and in this world that would trust Christ, that would place their faith in Jesus, believing that he died and rose again for them, and that he paid for their sins, God, you tell us that that brings salvation. Oh God, I pray that if there's anybody here who is, is not trusting in Jesus alone for their salvation, that today would be the day that they would do that. God, as we get ready to worship you in this way, may our hearts just be drawn to you and lifted up to you in worship. Oh God, we are so grateful for the cross. We thank you in Jesus' name, amen. We want to invite all of you, if, you're, if you've trusted in Christ as your Savior, we want to invite all of you to come and celebrate the Lord's table. And if, if you've been here before, you just know, kind of form some lines and, and come on up here and take some bread and dip it in the juice and then you can return to your seat. We all stand and we'll sing this together.
guys know this one? Lord, prepare me to be the sanctuary, pure and holy, tried and true. For you. That's the words. Let's sing that again together. Lord, prepare me to be a sanctuary. Pure and holy. Tried and true. Tried and true. With thanksgiving. With thanksgiving. I'll be a We love you so much, Lord. That is our prayer that you would create in us the sanctuary that, like Pastor Jeremiah said, the, the fact that the living God lives within us and has made his home in us and empowers us and gives us boldness and gives us the words to say, Lord, when we don't even know what or when. You, O oh God, are worthy of all honor, praise, glory. You are above every principality, every power. There is none that can counsel you, O oh God, you have all authority, all wisdom, all strength. We love you so much for who you are. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Have a great time in Sunday school, and we'll see you tomorrow or next week.